Hi, this is Karen Cohn. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. I am often asked about the creation of the Zach Foundation for Children's Safety. You may be wondering where our passion for children's safety comes from. Today is a very difficult day. 14 years ago today, my husband Brian and I lost our six-year-old son, Zachary, in a drain entrapment drowning in our backyard pool. I debated whether I should share all of the painful details of that fateful day, but I ultimately decided it was important to tell the full story so others can learn from this tragedy and also find hope. Sometimes unimaginable grief can be turned into a positive force for good. I'm also fortunate to have a great co-host in my friend Megan Ferraro, who also knows the pain of losing a child. Her story and her resilience has provided me much comfort and inspiration. Please know, these are difficult stories to share. They are difficult stories to tell. And we won't blame you if you need to turn it off and come back later to finish listening. Nothing can ever take away the pain of losing a child, but knowing that we are helping you keep your kids safe motivates us to keep going each and every day. Thank you. I have four children, um, and in 2007, I had a seven-year-old, I had a six-year-old, I had a two-year-old, and I had just given birth. And so my youngest was two months old. We were living in a new house, and we had, it was our first house with a pool, so we were really excited because our kids loved to swim. And actually, my two older kids, my seven-year-old and my six-year-old, were great swimmers. And we always made sure that they were closely supervised. We had four-sided fencing around our pool in our backyard. We had alarms on the doors leading out to the backyard pool, and so we had all those safety, requ- or not safe, well, safety requirements really by our local town um, to in place to protect the kids. And so we, it was a really hot Saturday in July, and the kids went out swimming even early in the morning because it was a really hot and humid day. And I had spent the day with my older daughter, my seven-year-old. We went and did a little shopping together, and then we came back home, and the kids had dinner, and they really wanted to go swimming again. And at this point, I had gone upstairs, and I was actually getting ready to go and have a dinner out with another with some friends of ours and Brian for the very first time since I had given birth to my fourth child. And so I went upstairs to get ready and I took my youngest, my baby with me so that I could feed her and watch her. And the kids went out and went swimming. And so while I was upstairs getting ready, I heard screaming and it was about the kids. My babysitter was screaming up the stairs saying, there's something wrong with the kids. And so we went running down the stairs and 
literally, I was not even dressed when I went running down the stairs. And so um, I saw that Zachary was underneath the water and she was saying, we can't get him out. He's stuck. And so my husband jumped in and tried pulling him and pulled him several times and could not release him. And this is a very big and strong man pulling on a six-year-old boy. We couldn't get him out. And so he came out of the water and he said, we need to shut down power. And so the only way I knew how to shut down power was to shut down the main power to the entire house. And so I ran down to the basement and pulled the lever and shut down power. And at that point, we were able to release Zachary. And so we pulled him out and we started CPR right away. And in the meantime, while I was running downstairs to shut down power, I was calling 911. And so we started CPR while we waited for the paramedics to arrive. And we were not able to resuscitate him. They arrived and they started working on him right away. And they worked on him for a long time. And then they said, we're going to take him to the hospital. They wanted to try and work on him some more. And Brian and I went to the hospital, of course. And, you know, you lose concept of time. So at some point they said there probably was not going to be a chance of resuscitating him. And so at that point, the police drove us back home. And then you have to tell your children and your family and extended family and friends. And I still remember calling one of my closest friends, Megan, who you know, and just sort of like blurting out the information, you know, like not even realizing what I'm saying and, you know, just shocking and traumatizing. Of course, after going through that, we talked about how we could prevent, prevent that from happening to anyone else and what, we, what could we have done differently to have prevented that. All the safety requirements that the pool was supposed to have been built with, it did not have. It was supposed to have had several layers of protection. Number one, it was supposed to have been built because it was a newly built pool with dual drains and it was built with a single main drain and it was supposed to have an automatic shutoff should something or someone become stuck. And unfortunately, it also did not have the safety vacuum release system either by law. And so we found out several months later that the Virginia Grant Baker Pool and Spa Safety Act was already being worked on and had been for a little while before Abigail Taylor from Minnesota became disemboweled and before Zachary passed away. 
But once two additional children passed away as a result of a pool drain entrapment, it was fast forwarded to be passed. And in December of 2007, the VGB Pool and Pass, the Virginia Grand Baker, which is known as the VGB Pool and Spa Safety Act, was signed into law and would go into effect a year later. Public pools, as well as the, so it included public pools, but it started, really started a national conversation about drowning prevention and water safety. And so, you know, it was largely around the construction of pools, but it also covered so much more as a result of that. It really was the beginning of drowning prevention and water safety in the U.S. After the Virginia Grand Baker Pool and Spa Safety Act was passed, Brian and I felt like this was a great start, but we thought, okay, what can we do now to educate other families uh, about drowning prevention and water safety because the statistics were very surprising. We, we were unaware that drowning was the leading cause of unintentional death for children between the ages of one and five and the second leading cause of unintentional death for children under the age of 14. And we felt that in order to honor Zachary, we needed to do something to change this. Because while we thought we did everything that we were supposed to do to educate our kids and protect them, we had no idea about pool drain entrapments. We had no idea about the risk of having a pool in our own backyard. So after VGB was passed, I had gotten to know Nancy Baker, Virginia Graham Baker's mom, really well. And I said to her, we need to do something about this. What can, what can we do to pick up from where she was leading off? And so she and I had a couple conversations. She introduced me to some, to a group in DC who, Megan, obviously you worked for. And, um, I started to, I had a meeting with them in DC shortly thereafter, and the rest is history. We decided to form the Zach Foundation, and initially, after we started the Zach Foundation, we tried to figure out, okay, where are children drowning the most? How are they drowning? What are the demographics of the children that are drowning? And you know, you helped us to, to do that. And we went to the, we basically went to our local boys and girls club here in Greenwich, Connecticut, and asked them if they would be willing to pilot a program that we call the Zach Camp. And that is where we started initially to do our work because in order to have a national partnership with boys and girls clubs, you have to run a successful pilot program locally first. And of course here in Greenwich, because you know, when a community loses a child, 
the entire community is devastated and would like to do anything that they can to prevent it from happening to another child. And so everyone knew our story and they were willing to pilot this program that could potentially be a, you know, a very important safety program for young children. The other thing to note is the anti-entrapment drain covers are domed and they're not flat, but the reason is it prevents the suction from being really strong because it allows the water to circulate behind the drain cover. And so the suction then is not as great. However, if that drain cover should come off, many times people buy new homes with older pools and the older pools are also built with what I referred to before as the single main drain. And if there's a single main drain, the way that the water is circulated, it allows for significant amount of suction that even an adult can become entrapped. So not just a child because there's hundreds of pounds of pressure. And so, you know, there's an entire list that we can give you about how to be safe, you know, when you move into a home that has an older pool, or even if you're building a new pool, how to build it in such a way and to educate yourself about how to protect your family and keep them safe when you have your own pool. So Megan, after talking through the story of the Zach Foundation, part of our relationship evolution and our journey together, you also have a story that is important to tell. Would you be comfortable sharing that with our listeners today? Yes, thank you. Um, You know, I first met you, Karen, back in 2010 when I was pregnant with my first. I was so excited about being a parent. and thought a lot about safety, but never thought about drowning prevention. And so it, meeting you and Brian really made me start to think about what safety meant and what being a parent meant, right? It wasn't all, you know, joy and sunshine. Um, and what I learned through our relationship was a lot about water safety and drowning prevention, but about a ton of other safety topics as well. So We had our first son, William, in 2010 and had so much fun being a parent to him, and he was such a joyful kid. We added another child to our family, Millie, in 2012, at the end of 2012. Um, So we had our hands full with a a four-year-old and a two-year-old and found out we were pregnant with our third, Caroline, in 2015. Um, we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl, but, um, we were so excited to add another child to our family. Um, and, you know, towards the end of my pregnancy, I, you know, was so excited about going into labor naturally. I had never, um, just spontaneously gone into labor. My first two deliveries were inductions. Um, and toward the end of the pregnancy, I started having that, you know, that, gut instinct that something wasn't right, that we needed to induce the pregnancy. And the one side of my brain was saying, oh, this is just because this is what you're used to, right? You're used to an induction, you know, it will be fine. But of course I talked to my OBGYN about it and she really felt like there was no reason to deliver the baby before 40 weeks. So 
um, at my 40 week checkup, we again discussed an induction and she really felt like I needed to go a few more days before she could bring me in for an induction. So we went back and forth on it and we eventually landed on a Monday for my induction. So my 40 week checkup with her was on a Thursday and she felt like waiting until Monday was the best time to deliver the baby. So, um, over the weekend, we had a really nice special time together as a family preparing for the baby. The kids were so excited to meet their new baby brother or sister. Um, and on Monday, March 30th, my husband and I went to the hospital to deliver our baby. Um, when we got to the hospital and got set up, um, we weren't there for long before we realized that the baby's heart rate was, um, all of you new parents out there probably have heard this term before, but was having D cells. Um, so the heart rate wasn't as strong as they would have liked it to have been. So they had me change positions, which was something that I did during laboring for my other children as well. So it wasn't something I was unaccustomed to. However, her heart rate wasn't coming back as quickly as they wanted it too. So they brought me into the operating room to do a C-section, which I had never had before. Um, and as they were preparing me for my C-section, um, my OBGYN still wasn't at the hospital. So she was making her way to the hospital, getting ready for a day of, of delivering babies. Um, and still the baby's heart rate wasn't where they wanted it to be. So they decided to, um, put me under general anesthesia and deliver our baby. Um, and there wasn't a lot of preparation for that, right? I don't even know if they really told me they were doing it before they did it. Um, my husband wasn't in the operating room with me at the time, so I was in there by myself. And um, just before I went under, um, my OBGYN, OBGYN walked into the room. Um, so she was the first familiar face I had seen that day. Um, and I saw her right before I went under. Um, I woke up from the C-section and saw her face over mine. And I could tell by the look on her face that something wasn't right. So I asked if the baby was a boy or a girl. And she told me it was a girl. Um, and based on her reaction, the next question I asked her was, is she alive? Um, and she was alive. Um, but what I learned was that during the delivery, um, Caroline's heart stopped, and it took the doctors uh, 21 minutes to resuscitate her. So she ended up with severe brain damage. Um, at the time, they really weren't sure what that meant. Um, and so over the course of of several days, she went under um, a cooling therapy, which was meant to stop the swelling in her brain um, and to prevent further brain damage. Um, they warmed her after she was cooled for 72 hours and brought her body back to room temperature with the hope that um, brain activity would return. Um, it didn't. And um, after a couple of weeks at our community hospital, we requested a transfer to a children's hospital. And after a few days at the children's hospital, we were told that Caroline had no chance at a normal life. Um, 
And a normal life can mean a lot of things for a lot of different people. Um, But what we learned was that she would never uh, be able to function in any way outside of, of being kept alive through feeding tubes and breathing machines. Um, and we had some difficult decisions to make about entering into hospice and how long that experience would take and if it was something we should do in our home or if we should stay in the hospital for. And, you know, I remember really struggling with that decision um, and struggling with the idea of how to move her from the NICU into a hospice uh, care situation. Um, And that was a difficult one and actually one that you, Karen, helped me make. I remember you were the first phone call that I made after my husband and I left our meeting with the neurologist. Um, So that hospice uh, experience for us took about 10 days, um, and on Monday, or on, I guess it was a Tuesday, May 5th, Caroline died um, at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, um, and they took such great care of our family during that time. After that experience, and after I kind of worked my way through the trauma of her loss and of her birth and of what those five-plus weeks meant for our family, I really started to take stock of my life and of what I was spending my time on. You know, I was a working mom with two young kids at home that I really enjoyed spending time with. Um, And I wanted to make sure that my life had balance to it and that when I was working, I was spending time doing something that mattered to me. Um, So when we first started working together, I was working on a lot of different types of accounts. I was working for a strategic communications firm that had political clients, that had um, pharmaceutical companies as clients, um, and that had a variety of different sectors they represented. And so oftentimes I was representing all of those clients at the same time. And over the years, I found myself gravitating more and more toward the work that we were doing with the Zach Foundation. Um, And so I was fortunate enough that as I was having this kind of rediscovery of what I wanted to focus my time on, that you and Brian were looking for an executive director. And so the timing worked out really well that um, in January of 2017, I transitioned to working for the Zach Foundation full time. Shortly after the birth of my next child, Teddy, who is just a light for everyone around him. Um, And so I feel so fortunate to have this job that allows me to focus on child safety and injury prevention and um, to be able to do that alongside raising my kids and to feel really good about the fact that when I'm away from my kids and when I'm traveling or when I'm focused on work that I am improving the lives, hopefully, of kids around the country. Um, And so that's, you know, in large part why this job is so special to me. Um, Of course, in addition to helping you and Brian keep Zachary's memory alive through everything we do at the Zach Foundation. Yes. 
first of all, I just want to say I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. And I know that I know I know what it's like to be in the situation where you do want to take stock of your life. And lucky for us, <laughs> we were able to take you on full time as a result of that. And look at where we are now. And, you know, as we've said before, we've made a lot of progress at, but, you know, we still have a ways to go, but the work that we do is really rewarding, even if we're just saving the life of one child or one family member. Right. And just educating all of those family members, right? Because we know that you know, when people hear Zachary's story or Caroline's story, they want to stop and make sure that it doesn't happen to them or to someone else that they know. So while it's so difficult for us to share these stories, we know that um, that the messages that we're imparting will improve your life. And hopefully you'll share these stories with your family members and your community members so that we can all live happy and healthy lives. Yeah, and how fortunate are we to have you and to, you know, have each other to support through this. You know, I believe that this was meant to be for us to be together and for, you know, me to hopefully try to help you as you were going through your loss. We love having you and we hope that our listeners today are moved by our stories and we hope that it brings, you know, more education around the suffering that we, it's probably not the best word to be using, but the, um, the journeys that we all go through in life, um, because we all have them in different ways. And so here we are today, and both working through coming out on the other side. You know, when I first met you, I had just gone through my loss of Zachary, so it was very, very early on. But you and the whole, you know, your whole team were so great at dealing with Brian and I and how raw our grief was during that time when we first started the Zach Foundation. So I completely understood, you know, what you were going through when it happened for you. And at different times of our lives, right? And those journeys really can help you as a person evolve or help or keep you as a person stuck in anger or resentment. Um, and so that's something that you really can't even understand what that means until you experience trauma or loss. And and we're all going to face it, right, at, at certain points in our lives, maybe on different levels. Um, but that has been something that's so eye-opening to me in going through, you know, I remember when I met you, like, this, nothing like that is ever going to happen to me. Um, and nothing like that has happened to me, but something else did, right? And so that um, evolution of you as a person and, and realizing that, you know, that you're constantly 
being given the opportunity to, to change and grow. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope that, you know, while I'm sure we've made you feel sad, we hope that we've enriched your lives as well. Absolutely. For everyone that's listening, this is probably not an easy episode to listen to, but, you know, we wanted to bring you into our lives um, because you're welcoming us into your phones every day that you listen to us. And, you know, when you think about what you can do to ensure that, that, as I said earlier, that your family, that your friends are aware, um, you know, just thinking about prevention and thinking about layers of protection and trusting your gut. And, you know, as a parent, really, of course, always keeping the safety of your child top of mind um, and having fun while doing so, right? I mean, kids are so joyful and so joyous. And so we hope that after listening to this episode, you shake off these sad stories um, and enjoy a fun day with your kids.